Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part three of our sermon series entitled The Joy Genome. Please enjoy. Series. You're in part three of a series called The Joy Genome, discovering the DNA of joy and trying to figure out how you get that lasting happiness. Um, today, we will kind of take a look into something new. And, and what we've been doing is walking through the book of Philippians, which was written from a guy named the Apostle Paul. And I'll tell you a little bit more about him today because this was a guy, and he actually tells about himself in this chapter, but this was a guy who wrote this letter from a prison cell. And from inside of this prison cell, he literally kind of lays out and starts giving the blueprint, if you will, to how you have and maintain lasting joy. Because here's what I know about you. You've experienced joy before. But some of you didn't know how to keep it. And it was sometimes something that we learned just actually was just kind of happiness based on what our current circumstances were. And what we found out in week one was this, is that actually joy is not connected to your circumstances at all. That you can have incredible joy even in the midst of terrible circumstances. In, in last week, he, he, he kind of keeps this thing moving forward and he changes gear. And he says, not only do you have joy in, in God's plan and purpose for your life, regardless of your circumstances, you know where you have joy? You have joy in great relationships with the people that God has put in your life. And when you act in in an arrogant way or act in a prideful way that you end up destroying the relationships around you and that actually the key to great relationships is humility. Now, I don't know about you, I never thought like that. That never dawned on me. That never crossed my mind. I thought, you know, the key to having great friendships was just having a lot of money or being really cool or being funny or being just super popular or good looking or whatever. He goes, no, that's, it's none of those things. Humility becomes the key ingredient and the key factor to having great and lasting relationships. In this week, though, he kind of changes his tone a little bit because the first two chapters have been really positive, really encouraging, and, and just uber uplifting. Then, like, he, he gets an angry streak in him right now. Are you ready? He gets madder than a, than a Raider fan on Sunday. It's just, he changes <laughs> his mood. And he gets upset at something that I get. Because whenever you're the victim of this, you get, you, you get mad at it too. Like, like, when you see it today, if you've ever been the victim, and if maybe you came here today and you're a visitor, or maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, or, or maybe you, you're not even sure about I guarantee you, you have been irritated and offended as Paul is offended today. Let's read and we'll get going on this idea. Philippians chapter three, and read along with me starting in verse number one. He opens up like this, he goes, further my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard to you. Everybody say a safeguard. He's saying this, now now the word that he uses is a Greek word asphala which is where we get our word asphalt from. He's saying this, he goes, I know I've said this to you before, which means this. He told them when he was in person, he maybe wrote a previous letter. He goes, this is no new information. I'm about to tell you something that is so good, that is so strong, that is so firm, you can build your entire life on it. This is not like uh, chicken soup for the Christian soul we're about to bust out here. This is not like words of wisdom from Oprah or, or you know, little good, good advice from a fortune cookie. This is something I'm about to lay out for you that you can build your entire life on. Now, when somebody says that, how many know, you dial it in and you get focused about what he's about to break off. And as we work through the next pretty much about 11, 12 scriptures, you're gonna see him lay out what I believe is, is the foundation for everything between you and God. Are you ready? Verse number two, he gets 
kind of weird, at least to us. He goes, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, at first glance, are you like me? And you're like, okay, this is confusing. Okay, first he's talking about dogs and then evildoers and then mutilators of the flesh. You're like, I don't understand what he's referring to at all. Let me break it down for you. In their culture and their time, there were two groups of people. There were Jewish people and there were Gentiles. Jewish people were Jewish people and Gentile was everybody that wasn't a Jewish person. Does that make sense? And the Jewish people knew that they had a special connection with God and had a special covenant with God. And in doing so, they began to look at everybody else in in a wrong perspective. And they used to just flat out say, everybody that's not a Jew, them are some dogs. And it was not like the sup dog. There was nothing cool about that. It was, it was, it was derogatory. It was their way of saying, man, y'all are less than. But Paul flips it on him because as you're about to see, is he takes these Jewish people who had become arrogant, who had become judgmental, who had become legalistic, and he flips it on him and says, no, y'all are the dogs. Y'all are the evildoers. Y'all are the mutilators of flesh. Now here's, now I'm gonna get gross. One of the things and the key ingredients to being a right Jewish person in right covenant with God was when you were born, you needed to be what if you were a boy? Circumcised. Yeah, this is fun to talk about at church. So, so here's what was going on. Every Jewish kid was circumcised at birth. Most Gentiles at this time were not. And so what that, what, this, is, this is the historical background that, that Paul's getting into. You've got to remember that Paul is writing to the church in its infancy state when it's just getting started. That Paul is an apostle in the, really the first generation, the first century of this thing that we know as church or Christianity. So how many of you know like things are still dicey? They're still trying to figure some things out. They're not sure how everything works, and they're having to make some adjustments as they go. They are taking the teachings of Jesus, but trying to take them into a Gentile world and figure out how that works. Well, Paul clearly knew and clearly understood and was very confident that the way that you connected with Jesus and the way that you connected to God was by grace alone. Meaning it wasn't about what you did or how well you behaved or how good you were or how bad you were. But it started by you putting your faith and trust in Jesus and his death on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And that right there was the key and most important step that you could ever take. And see, what happened was there was another group, though. They were referred to as Judaizers. Everybody say Judaizers. I know you're getting a little bit of a Bible history lesson, but it's good. It'll make the Bible make more sense and get real interesting here soon. So these Judaizers were not like Paul. They were okay with Gentiles coming into faith and starting to follow Jesus. They were okay with that. But they said, hey, here's the deal, though. I know y'all's as grown men, but y'all got to get circumcised. Now, how I many know that'll cut your men's ministry in half real quickly? Like, that'll, that'll really... Like, can you imagine, like, hey, everybody, let's come to Jesus. You need this salvation. You need to repent of your sins. God wants to forgive you and bless your life. And all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, I need that. And you fill the altar... And I'm like, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. First things first, I'm going to grab this scalpel. And we're going to get to work. How many know that would make, that'd make salvation a really, really uh, difficult thing? That would make it kind of hard on you. Even, I don't know. This might be a women's ministry type situation here. I, 
They don't have to do any of that. And so Paul comes out and says this. He goes, beware of the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh, because here's what they're trying to do. They're basically trying to take all of the rules of the Old Testament and put them on you, even though you're not Jewish. See, here's what you need to know about the Old Testament. The Old Testament had 613 laws. That's a lot. Now, don't think they were all, because some of them were moral laws, many of which we still follow today. Some of them were civil laws. They were a nation. They had to have laws just like America has laws. And then some of them were ceremonial laws in the sense of like, this is how you worship at the temple or give sacrifices or honor Sabbaths. Well, I mean, most of these laws didn't apply to Gentiles in any way, shape, or form. Jesus, they weren't Jewish. And so the Judaizers, though, are saying, no, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to be Jewish first. Then you can follow Jesus. Which remember, we got to get the scalpel out and you got to do all this new stuff. Now, how many, real quick, by show of hands, how many of you like rules? You're like, come on. Okay, let, let, me, let me rephrase my question. How many of you, when you were young, were good at following the rules? Raise your hands. Come on, don't, Tara Lee, I know you were a good rule follower. Okay, how many of you were bad at following the rules? Bad at following the rules. Okay, I, how many of you didn't raise your hand at all right there? You liars. What, what are you? You're in between. You're not sure. Sometimes I did. Sometimes I didn't. Well, here, here's what you need to know about the rule. Well, let me back up. When God created mankind and he created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know how many rules he had? One rule. So you got to remember that God is not about rules. God is about having a relationship with you. And so when it all began, there was only one rule and it was that that's, that's my tree. Don't eat it. You get the entire world. You just don't get that tree. That's my tree. Don't touch my tree. As long as you don't touch my tree, that's, that's the only rule that you have to follow in terms of obedience. How many know that would be pretty easy? Well, apparently it wasn't that easy, but remembering that God started with one rule. Well, then all, when you follow the history of mankind, you find like all hell breaks loose and people are crazy. Can I get an amen? Like people's, people's got problems, dysfunction, weird, crazy. And so eventually God's like, okay, we've got to rectify this situation. And so he starts with a family that turns into a nation. And he says, I'm going to put my stamp on this nation. And this nation is going to be a light to the world to show the rest of the world how to live and how to connect to me and how to know me. And so with this group of people, he says, okay, y'all are crazy too though. And y'all live in a really, really crazy world. So I'm going to give y'all a bunch of rules so that you know how to live. But here's what, here's what you have to remember. God did not give them rules just so that if you followed the rules, you could be right with God. This is what God did. God said, you're already good with me. I already love you. You're with me. And because you're with me, I've got to tell you the best way to live life. I'm going to give you some rules. Now, how many of you give rules to your kids? Okay, real quick. How many of you give cool rules to other people's kids? Yeah, so you want to though, don't you? Like you're like, that kid needs more spankings. I know. I, I want to spank that kid. That whole, it would hurt me more than it would hurt you. No, it would hurt you. And I would feel better. And, and you know, when you get stuck on an airplane with that crazy kid that won't shut up. You know, there's just these times where those kids make you crazy. You say, I want to give them rules. But they're not your kids, so you really don't give them rules. Unless you're maybe a teacher or something. But, but God said, you're mine. And because you're mine, I'm going to give you these rules. Because I want you to live the best life Possible, but something happened because people always screw up God's perfect plans. Amen. Thank you. Um, at the point in time that Jesus 
shows up and begins to teach. He, he, you notice that Jesus gets angry at a certain group of people. And the group of people that he gets angry at is this. is people that make rules on top of rules and make rules the measuring stick by which if you keep the rules, you're in. And if you break the rules, you're out. That rules become the measuring stick for who the really, really good people are and who the really, really bad. How many know rules are, rules can be bad. Now, when you're young, you need rules, don't you? Like, let me give you an example. Like my son, when he was five years old, uh, my wife comes in from the house, pale faced, mouth open in utter shock and horror. And she goes, you need to go talk to your son right now. He just pooped in the yard. And I promise you, there, there's no lie to this. I go outside, it looks like what was a, a giant bear had taken um, a number two in my yard. And I thought, holy cow, that, this is an ungodly amount. Like, what do you feed this kid? And, and, and I look at my son and I'm like, and I thought it was funny. I'm like, y'all, moms think differently about this stuff. But I look at him, I'm like, son, did you do that? He owned up to it. And I said, son, why did, why did you do this? He goes, I was playing and I didn't want to come inside. I thought, okay, to a five-year-old, that makes pretty decent sense. Like, I'm having a good time out here. I don't want to, like, break, you know, break up a good time and go, go inside and go through the whole process. And there's, there's toilet paper involved and flushing and washing of hands. There's just a lot of excess stuff I don't want to deal with right now. I thought, to a five-year-old, this makes logical sense. So how many know when you're little and you don't get everything and you don't understand everything, you need rules? So you know what our new rule was? Yeah, don't poop in the yard. I mean, that was the rule. <laughs> now, I have never once had an adult person come to my house and me feel the need to say, hey, now, real quick, I just have a few rules around here. just need you to follow along, you know. Number one, don't poop in the yard. No, you know, that's just, I've never had to do the Why? Because you're not dealing with immature people. But you have to remember that God was dealing with an immature people in an immature culture in terms of, they were very barbaric. It was very much dog eat dog, do whatever you can to, to live and to survive, to conquer, to dominate, to do what. He goes, I got to give you guys some rules. So he lays out these 613 rules. But see, Time moves forward and time progresses. And, and, and when Paul is looking at these, these new Gentile believers, these Judaizers had come in and said, you got to do all the rules, but not just the moral ones. I mean, you got to do the ceremonial ones and the civil ones. I mean, you got to do all 613 of them. But the problem with rules is this, is that rules never did save anybody. Rules were just the indicator of when you made a mistake, weren't they? Did you ever think rules are powerless, aren't they? Like... They might be right and they might be good, but they never gave you the power to follow the rules. They just gave you the, the ability to know when you were good with them and when you were bad with them. This is the other thing I've noticed about rules. Rules really get you focusing on yourself because then you're always, am I in the rules? Am I keeping the rules? Did I break the rules? And so life becomes about you. How many of you know this too? Uh, when you're a great rule keeper, you usually resent the non-rule keepers. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're mad. And let me tell you why most of you are mad when you, you get because Because you wish you could break the rules. Because you have a stronger conscience. You're mad at them because they do. So rule keepers hate people who break the, the rule. And so anyway, there's this, there's this problem with rules. Rules are based on fear usually. If you think about it, most of the rules that we have, especially when you think about laws, whether it's, it's, it's Matt getting a speeding ticket this morning because he broke a law. Um, what, what's funny is, is another one of our worship team members uh, broke that same law and she got off. I don't know what's up with that. Um, 
Now, I mean, you know, if you break the law, there's a, there's a penalty, there's a fine, there's a punishment. When you're a kid, it's usually, you know, you can get a whooping or a timeout or get your, you know, video game taken away, whatever it is, there's a punishment. So many times, what is your incentive for keeping the rule? Not getting into trouble. I mean, that's the incentive. So, so, so rules in and of themselves, they're not bad. As a matter of fact, Paul says this about rules later in the book of Timothy. He says that rules or laws are good for people who use them lawfully. But remember this, the law was made for crazy people. Like that's the why laws were made. Laws were made for lawless people. And then he goes on and lists all these people that, that lie and steal and murder and kill and do all that. Like that's how many know laws are good now when we start thinking in those terms. We're glad there's laws. But nobody, as, as a follower of Jesus, nobody has really had to like lay that thing on me real hard. Like Todd, you can't murder. I'm just not inclined to go kill people. Amen. Please, are y'all with me? Are you, I hope you feel the same way. Like that's not one like you had to be reminded of every other day. That you didn't do that. Well, the reason why is because God, in his great mercy and insight, wanted to take laws and then put them in your heart. He wanted to have a sense of you. So you've got to remember that, that, that there were 613 laws. Micah boiled them down to three laws. He said, I want you to do this. I want you to, to, uh, to walk humbly with your God, to love justice, and to love mercy. And if you just do those three things, that's pretty much what it's all about. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And that's what it's really all about. Jesus came along, reduced it down to two. He said, all, all 613 of those laws, you know what you can hang them on? Love God with all your heart. And then love people the same way you want to be loved yourself. You can hang everything on. So, so the point was this, is that when you love God and love people the way you want to be loved, you usually are not like, okay, don't murder today, don't murder today, don't murder today, don't murder today. <laughs> like you commuters, I know you sometimes you do battle that. But, but most of us regular people, we don't normally have to do that. And the reason why is because the Holy Spirit is in our heart. When we put our faith in Jesus, and when we have a connection with God, we in our heart want to love God and love people as we would want to be loved. And so he says, here's the deal, though. When you make life all about the rules for you, and you make life all about the rules for everybody else, you become a legalistic person. Legalism, in essence, is this, is when you put rules above relationships. Let's keep reading. I've said so much. The scripture says it so well. The Bible says, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who, now check this out. What he's saying is, is this. If you really know what it means to be circumcised in your heart towards God, this is what it would look like. He goes, we're the circumcision. We serve God by his spirit. We boast in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. So number one is this, is there's no joy in legalism. There's just no joy in keeping the rules and making sure that you keep all the rules and having life be all about the rules because then you resent everybody who doesn't follow the rules. This is the other thing I found about it too, is you resent God. The problem with being a great rule keeper just for the sake of keeping rules is, is that you now think that God owes you because you kept the rules. And when God doesn't show up the way you want to show up or perform the way that you want him to perform or answer that prayer the way that you wanted to answer that prayer, you get resentful because you're like... I kept the rules. You owe me. Be careful when you begin to elevate rules above relationship. Be careful when you live by the rules just for the sake of living by the rules. Where you want to be is, is that in your heart you serve God by the Spirit. You boast in Christ Jesus. Look at what else he says. And you put no confidence 
in the flesh. There's no confidence. What he's saying by no confidence in the flesh is this, is you don't put a lot of confidence in how good you are or what you've done or in your accomplishments or in your pedigree or all the things that you've got stacked up on your resume. Don't put any confidence in your ability to keep the rules. And listen to what he says. Let's keep reading. He goes, though I myself, I have reasons for such confidence. Now, it gets weird, but he explains it. He goes, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I've got more. He's basically saying, I got you beat. If we're going to have like a religiosity contest to see who's a better rule keeper and who's more religious, he goes, I'm going to beat you. He describes it. He goes, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, Jewish law, every little boy had to be circumcised on the eighth day. The reason why they did it on the eighth day is because without any type of vitamins or injection or anything like that, the best day to circumcise someone is on the eighth day because that's when the blood begins to coagulate. So he goes on to say this. I'm of the people of Israel. I have a covenant with God. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, here's the deal why he says this stuff. He goes, I'm from Benjamin. Now, now if you were from Benjamin, you were pretty awesome because you were loyal to King David when there was a revolt. And you were a part of the country that stayed intact the longest. The, the Bible says that the Israel was split into two different kingdoms. One of them became way more wicked, way faster, and was eventually destroyed. But the southern kingdom was made up of Judah and Benjamin. And they lasted the longest, served God the longest, before they eventually turned corrupt and were defeated themselves. But to be of the tribe of Benjamin meant you were a little bit more important than everybody else based on what? Outward standards. He goes, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees, they didn't keep just 613 laws. They had a few hundred laws on top of those laws, and they kept them all. How many know, like, you're a good rule keeper? And they knew them all. They memorized them all. They lived by them all. And they had all these little rules and these little weird things that they would do and they wouldn't do as Pharisees. He goes, as for zeal... I persecuted the church. Like I was so Jewish and so pro-Jew that I made sure that anybody that wasn't exactly like us, that I made sure that they were in prison. As a matter of fact, I was okaying some of them to be stoned and killed. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. He says, I've got you beat in the goody good contest. I've got you beat in being a great rule keeper. I've got you beat. And you know what I'm telling you? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when you base your whole life just purely on living by rules because here's what happens when you live a life based purely on rules. Either number one is this, is that you're a good rule keeper. And when you're a good rule keeper, you become arrogant, self-sufficient, judgmental, and mean. And it's true. Anybody that lives a legalistic life, I've never met one that was happy and legalistic at the same time. I've never met a person who is full of joy and legalistic at the same time. I've never, ever seen them. And so they live a life where they're, they're arrogant, they're proud, they're self-sufficient, they're judgmental of others, and they're just downright mean people. And this is, by and large, for whatever reason, Christians fall into this trap sometimes. You would assume that the people who've received the most amazing grace the world has ever known would be happy, joyous, grace-giving people. Why is it that we fall into this trap? This is why Paul's saying all this. He's saying, beware, don't fall into this trap. Beware, don't become a person that lives life based on rules void of a relationship with God. Beware of people who try to input their rules on everybody else. And this is what we've got inside of Christianity. We've got a whole group of people who isolate, divide, separate, point fingers, and judge every other group inside of Christianity, and especially every group outside of Christianity, and says, because you're not just like us, you're wrong. 
And because you don't do it just like we do it, you're wrong. And just because you don't quote it like we quote it, or you don't, you're not King James only, or you don't wear giant skirts when you go swimming, or because you cut your hair, or because you wear makeup, or because you got baptized and the phrase was this, and we got baptized and the phrase was this one. So we're in and you're out. So I'm going to split hell wide open because somebody got the words wrong in my baptism. Holy crap, we are in trouble. This is ridiculous, but we've fallen into the trap of saying, you know what, it has nothing to do. And what, the, what Paul goes on to say, he writes a whole book based on this idea of legalism called the book of Galatians. And he says, when you live a life like this, you are frustrating the grace of God. The thing that he wanted to freely give you, you've not made it about the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus and the penalty he paid for you and that amazing gift that was, you've made it about you and how good you are. Pitfall number one is when we live by the rules void of relationships, we become legalistic. Here's the other thing we fall into. How many of you said you were bad rule keepers? Yeah. Y'all are scared to do that now. You're like, I don't know if I should. You know what happens when you're a bad rule keeper? You don't become legalistic. You become guilted all your life. You become less than. You become a worm. You look down upon yourself and you end up disqualifying yourself from the plans and purpose of God that he wants to do in you because you don't think you measure up and because you don't think you're good enough. I'm gonna help you all real quick here. None of us are good enough. That was never the issue. The issue was is that Jesus was good enough and because of my faith in him, because of that, I've become righteousness. It's not how great of a rule follower or how bad of a rule follower I am. It's that I start with a relationship with God and the price that he paid for me on that cross and that becomes the foundation, the basis of everything that I do. Yes, I follow some rules, but not because it's about the rules and because I have to and if I don't, he'll, you know, no, no, no. It's because I recognize the grace and goodness of God and because of that, I want to live a life. I want to freely give and to freely follow Jesus now and because of that, I end up just by default keeping a bunch of rules that I just never even think about. That's what it's all about. It has nothing to do with how good or how bad. Listen, let's keep going. So the Bible says in verse 7, Paul continues, he goes, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All my pedigree, all my accolades, all my goody two-shoe, and all my, I did this, and I didn't do that. And that's, he goes, that's, that, that's lost. When you compare that to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, everybody say garbage. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Now, this is really, really nice of them to put this word garbage in there. This is very PG. This is G-rated. This is nice stuff right here. If you go read the Greek language, what I told you he got a little hostile in this chapter. He kind of uses a Greek dirty word. He uses the word um, skubala, which is the Greek word for poo. Yeah, we're, we can all just have a fifth grade moment and laugh because I said poo in church. Um, dung. I mean, there's worse words I could use that would probably be better description. You know, you could say scubala happens, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> this is the language that Paul uses and he's using this graphic language to try to shock them into saying, stop basing everything that you got with God based on your own good merit. It's not necessarily about how great you behave or great you perform. You cannot earn God's love. It was already given to you. And when you think you can earn what he's freely given, you frustrate the love and the grace of God. Let's keep reading. 
He goes, all this stuff is rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from what? The law or keeping all the rules. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. For all of you who ever wondered, like, what is the meaning of life? Paul said it right here. Jesus said it in John chapter 17, verse 3. The meaning of life is this, is to know God. Because to know God is to love God. And to love God is to serve and to follow God. And that is the meaning of life. When when, When your meaning and purpose of life becomes anything other than that, you will end up an unsatisfied, unhappy soul. The meaning of life is to know God. This is what John chapter 17, 3 says. He goes, Father, I want them to know you. That's what eternal life is, that they may know you, the one true God in Christ Jesus who you sent. That's eternal life. That is the meaning of life. That is what life is all about. Let's keep reading here real quick here. Verse number 11, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already attained this or have already arrived at my goal, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There's no joy in legalism. You put no confidence in the flesh. There's no righteousness apart from Christ. And I'm going to give you the last ingredient here. Is there's no future in the past. See, some of you, you have a hard time embracing what I'm telling you. Because all you can think about is your past mistakes and your past failures. I'm telling you that the grace of God is free, and you're saying, but Todd, you don't understand. You don't know that I, remember. but you don't know, remember that one time, and I, yeah, so, but you didn't know, yeah, it, he did, though. There's a lot of stuff I don't know, but he knows it all, and regardless of your past mistakes or your past failures, he still loves you. See, religion is this. The basis of all religious systems is this, is if I'm good enough, God will like me. Jesus showed up and said, God already likes you. That's why I'm here, to die in your place. Because God is in love with you. And God is in pursuit of you. And God is tracking you down and hunting you down with his grace and goodness. Because he wants to be connected to you. This isn't about how good you are. None of us are good enough. This isn't how well you perform. None of us have performed good enough. But when we will relax into and rest into his grace and his goodness. And when we receive that, everything changes from the inside out. We don't, we don't think about keeping the rules. We think about following Jesus. And because we follow Jesus, we can't help but by default follow these rules. Verse 13 says this, and we'll kind of begin to wrap this up. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's saying, this is life now. It's about knowing him. And so in light of that, I'm gonna forget my past. I'm not worried about the past. And some of you, you live your life like that. You live your life looking in the rearview mirror constantly. You live your life feeling this weight of guilt all over your life. And I say, why? Didn't Jesus already pay the price for those sins? But yet you still want to carry them. Why? How many of you today, if I, if I had a financial meeting 
I said, hey guys, I've got a killer investment strategy. Here's what I want to do. We're going to invest. We're going to couple this together into a big mutual fund in essence, and we're going to invest in these companies. Number one, we're going to invest in VCRs. I'm telling you, you got to trust me on this. We're going to invest in cassette tapes, MySpace, and Windows Vista. Let's do it. We're going to just bank all of, our, all of our energy, all of our money into these incredible and quality products and ideas. How many of you would be into that? No one. Okay, good. But anytime this is what we do, we, 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 have, we have our eyes set on the past. And we're thinking about our past failures and our, fa- our past mistakes. And we're holding on to them and God has forgiven you of them. And he's saying this. He goes, I want you to... Now, now listen... Don't get me wrong. When you take your past failures and mistakes, you bring them to Jesus. You seek forgiveness. You learn from your mistakes, but then you let them go. But when you live with them and you let those things define your, define your future and define who you are, you're frustrating the grace and the goodness of God. And when we make life anything more than starting with a relationship with him, we've missed it. He's saying, I'm telling you, you can build your whole life on this thing. You can build your entire relationship with God based on this one thing, that it's not how good you perform and it's not how good you behave. It is how good Jesus is. It is how perfect he is. It is how holy and pure he is. It is the perfect sacrifice that he made and nothing to do with you. We could never be good enough. We could never perform well enough. That wasn't the goal. The goal was to know him. And by faith in him, we would become righteous and be free from all that junk. And in doing so, I'm telling you, when the burden of guilt falls off of you, when being a legalistic person falls off of you, you know what you get to experience? Joy. Think about it. I'm legalistic. I'm mad. All the non-rule keepers. I'm a mean person. And you know what? If I, if I don't follow the rules and I guilt myself, you know what I am? I'm a depressed person. Either way, I lose my joy. This is sometimes the, the thing that sin does to us. I'll close with this last little antidote here. Yesterday, I was at a birthday party. And uh, at the end of the, we had a pinata. I mean, that's a good birthday party. And we beat down the pinata and the kids all get candy. And then there's cake to come. And, and I don't want my kids just to be a pure sugar junkie. You know what I mean? Because then they're bouncing off the walls. And then I want to bounce them off the walls. So, so, so I look at my three-year-old and I tell her, I'm like, all right, that's no more candy. No more candy. You're all done. Because you know how I mean? they, they hoard candy when the pinata, you know. It's almost, they almost got hit too. How I many you know, like the, the bat's still swinging and then they want to die for the candy and they almost get taken out by the bat. And, and so she's got all this candy though and she's just, and literally just stuffed mouth, drool coming out with chocolate and syrupy things. And, it's, and they look like they're just having a blast. But I told her, Caitlin, you, you can't have any more candy. We're going to have cake soon. You just, no more candy for now. You can have candy later, but we're about to have cake soon. And so sure enough, and I watched her. She took one more piece of candy and kind of snuck away and was doing this. I mean, you know, kids have that weird thing where they think, if I don't see you, you can't see me. It's three-year-old. So anyway, so she's eating this candy. And uh, when she turns around, her mouth is full of candy. And I said, Caitlin, did you, did you put candy in your mouth? Mm-hmm. You know, and she just, and it's dripping down her face again. And she looks so cute. And, 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 and so as soon as she does that, she actually goes behind the chair where her mom is and hides so that I can't see her. And I think, isn't this the nature of sin? When we realize that we're not right with God, what do we do? We run and we hide. What did Adam and Eve do in the Garden of Eden when they realized they had sinned? They ran and they hid. What is it that we do when we feel guilted by sin? 
when we made it all about us and not about Jesus, it was all about us, we ran and we hid. I want to tell you this morning that God's reaction to the sin of Adam and Eve was he went looking for them and he found them. And the reaction that God has to your sin and your past and your mistakes is to go looking for you and to find you. God is in absolute love. The only reason why he gave you any rules was because he wanted to love you and give you the best life possible. All of God's rules have intrinsic value in them. If you follow them, you'll be more blessed. If you disobey them, you're going to jack up your life. This is why he gave rules to begin with. But he didn't give rules as the measuring stick to see whether you'd be in or whether you'd be out. He gave you those rules because you're already in with him. When you put faith in Jesus, you're in with him. Then he begins to show you the best way to live life. God wants you to experience some incredible joy that is found first and foremost in a relationship with him. Not based on how good you are, not based on how well you perform, but based on how good Jesus is. Let's pray this morning. Father, we pray today, God, that you would help us, God, to to renew our mind, to change the way we think, to change the way that we look at ourselves, the way we look at other people. Some of us, that that we're a little too legalistic. It is too easy and we are too quick to condemn other people. It is too easy and we're too quick to judge everybody else. Some of us, we've even resented God because we felt like he owed us something. God, forgive us this morning. God, when we see other people falling, God, let us extend the hand of grace just as you did to us. Father, for some of us who have been weighed down by guilt, God, we pray that there would be freedom this morning. That, God, that we would walk out of here. And, yeah, we still want to be convicted when we're wrong and off so that we know to get back right with you. But, God, we pray that the, the weight of guilt would be lifted. That, God, that our future is not our past. God, you have redeemed us. You have paid the price. Father, we pray that our joy would flow out of our relationship with you. Father, we are in desperate need of you this morning, God. Help us, Lord. Jesus, it is is in your holy and and precious name that we pray. And we all said, Amen. amen. Can we all just give the Lord a big hand clap? Oh, thanks. Well, again, thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.org.